Welcome to the Land Ethic Podcast, dedicated to conservation and stewardship of the natural world. I'm Dylan Bagnasco. I'm a landscape architect, outdoorsman, and conservationist. I'm learning from exceptional people who are working to improve our relationship with land in one way or another. Subscribe on your preferred podcast app and follow Land Ethic Podcast on social media for updates, episode releases, and more. Lachlan Clark is an outdoorsman and writer from Auckland, New Zealand. He's passionate about connecting to the natural world through the pursuit of wild food in the New Zealand backcountry. He's committed to helping preserve this human and wildlife connection by sharing his adventures and experience with others. We connected a while back on social media through shared interests in the outdoors and the tough questions surrounding ethical wildlife management. Lachlan has some interesting perspectives as a Kiwi hunter. New Zealand is often thought of as a sportsman's paradise, with abundant wild game and relatively few restrictions. As you'll hear, all of that comes at a price. We mostly talked about the various introduced species in New Zealand, how they got there, and how they're being managed. From red deer and wallaby to wild turkeys and peacocks, it's a bizarre place. We also touched on firearms restrictions, culling programs, feral cats, all sorts of interesting stuff. Thanks to Lachan for coming on the show, and I hope you'll check out his content online. I'd start by reading his articles on TheMeatEater.com and by following him on Instagram at FillTheFreezer2.0. Here's episode 44. Okay, I'm sitting down on opposite sides of the world, 18 hours apart, with Lachan Clark. How are you, man? Yeah, doing great, man. It's great to be on here. Thanks. Yeah, I'm glad we were able to connect. I uh, found you posting some cool stuff online about your hunting ethics and issues that you're facing over there in New Zealand, which are just really, really interesting and sort of foreign to what we're facing over here in the U.S. But obviously there's some through lines, but uh, you've got some just really different situational things going on there. So I think it'll be an interesting comparison. Yeah, no, New Zealand is, is a pretty unique place. Like, um, with mostly introduced species, like throughout our country, it's pretty amazing. You can pretty much hunt all of these species all year round. It's just kind of like a hunter's paradise, to be honest. Yeah. But that comes with kind of a dark side as well, right? Like some, some major issues. Oh, uh, yeah. It comes with like responsibilities. That's what I'd say. It's like you, there's certain things where like, Hunters have to like step up and um, like, I'd almost say perform their duty um, to like help manage populations. Cause you know, we've kind of thrown a spanner in the works by introducing all these different species. Like for context, New Zealand has seven different deer species in an area the size of Colorado, um, which is pretty nuts. Plus you've got like, wild pigs, wild sheep, wild goats. You got feral cattle running around in some areas. You got tar and chamois, um, which are just pretty unique animals in off themselves. You got a whole bunch of small game. So we have like turkeys running around everywhere. Um, but unlike in the US, you can hunt them all year round. <laughs> you never hunt them with a shotgun pretty much. And um, you're, yeah, it's, a, it's just very, very different. And like the hunting ethics behind it, it's just vastly different. Yeah. Are there any game animals that are native? I mean, it's mostly like flightless birds and stuff, right? That were endemic. Yeah. So we got a couple of different species that are technically like game animals. So, um, like one that I've hunted, two that I've hunted quite a bit, uh, waterfowl species. So you've got paradise ducks, which are a type of like shield duck, a little bit bigger than a mallard, but don't put on as much fat. And then you've got this thing called a pukeko, which is, it's like, imagine a coot on stilts and okay. you hunt them in a swamp, but they flush out like pheasants. Um, they're, they're a really strange bird. They're like bright blue um, with black bits and a red beak. Um, for anyone who's interested, you just go look, look up, search up pukeko and, oh, no. or like New Zealand swamp hen is the other name. So I, I think for the listeners that are in Florida, there's like swamp hens down there that are yeah. kind of closely related, but they're pretty common here in New Zealand. Like 
where I grew up, so that was Bay of Plenty, so central North Island in New Zealand. We had a lot of pukekas around there. So I grew up on, so my grandparents' place at the time was a kiwi fruit orchard. And it was running up next to a, a really swampy area. And you'd always have pukekas running around in there. Huh. Yeah. And they're incredible to hunt. But yeah. Wow. So you did grow <laughs> up in New Zealand. I was going to ask you that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I no, spent my whole life in here. But um, my mom is Indian. My dad is Kiwi. So Pakiha. I don't, I'm not too familiar with the geography. Are you, did you grow up hunting like mostly around that area in the north? Yeah. So Bay of Plenty. Like or... my, for most of my life, probably up until I was about 16, hunting for me was pretty much pukekos and rabbits on my grandparents' orchard. And mm. so that's up in the North Island. Um, it's Bay of Plenty. So it's about two hours south of Auckland. So which is okay. the major city in New Zealand. Um, it's not like a huge town at all, but it's got like reasonable population. And yeah, I just did most of my hunting there. And I, I got into like more like big game and like deer and goats more when I was about 16 and then really started getting into it when I was about 18. Okay. And now I'm 21. So you, you mentioned all these introduced species. I'm not very knowledgeable about how this happened. I've always just kind of heard of New Zealand, as, as you mentioned, being like sportsman's paradise. There's all this big game, there's yeah. red stags, but like, how did this happen? Was this a series of individuals going, oh, I've got land over New Zealand and I want to bring over some of these animals from Scotland or whatever? Or was it like, you know, more large scale government action to introduce these? How did you get to where you are? Uh, and really for like species species, it, it varies quite a bit, but like yeah. I'll mostly talk about deer, deer, tar and that kind of stuff. So like our major game species of big game. Um, so red deer, fallow deer, seeker, and then the Asian samba and rusa were all brought over by acclimatization societies. So you'd have, um, because in New Zealand, like settlers coming to New Zealand were mostly European. So they'd want to bring the European game animals that they were used to hunting. Mm. Um, so a lot of New Zealand settlers, particularly down south, are Scottish. So there's a lot of Scottish red stag genetics down in south island like one station where i've hunted a bit on um down in central otago they they i'm pretty sure they introduced red deer in the early 1820s um so they've been there a long long time now yeah. maybe it was probably a little bit later actually i can't remember the exact date but 1800s they were introduced there and most of these little releases were only like a few animals like for on that one particular station it was seven scottish red deer and for some reason they just chucked in an axis deer um <laughs> but the axis never took off because it's way too cold down there okay. um but the red deer are still there and they've just grown to incredible sizes um like just it's there's so much food in new zealand like in the, especially in the North Island, you get a lot of pastures that are green all year round. Oh, yeah. So wow. there's just food in huge abundance for them. And then also in the forests, a lot of our native plants are super, super palatable. In, in the US, they'll, they'll have certain types that they'll like to eat, others that they'll leave alone. In New Zealand, they kind of just eat everything um, mm. within browsing height. Um, but anyway, so a lot of these climatization would bring the societies would bring them over because um, settlers would like to hunt them. They were a great food source. It became a bit of a tourism thing because because of their um, being so much food around, the stags would grow to pretty incredible sizes. Um, like Scottish red deer are quite a small red deer subspecies, but mm. in New Zealand they grow just ginormous um, for a red deer. Um, they kind of look like elkish body size, probably yeah. a little, quite a bit smaller, but, um, and then, then we have a couple of our other deer species, um, notably our wapiti, which is the elk, um, and whitetail were both donated by Theodore Roosevelt to New Zealand. I have um, heard that story. Yeah. So actually there's like a whole, I'm not a hundred percent sure this is true, but there's a, um, theory that part, some of the elk that were released in New Zealand were Eastern elk. 
So huh. now sub extinct subspecies in the US. So there's a bit of like, it was a whole, they don't know if there was Eastern elk, there's a bit of Roosevelt in there because they get really big body sizes. Yeah. Um, but now all of those elk are kind of like a hybrid between red deer and elk, which is why we call them fjord and wapiti because they're not really elk anymore. Um, in terms of hunting in New Zealand, the only time you really call them elk is if it's on a high fence place and it's just oh. an actual elk that's been grown out. Because yeah. you get a lot of American hunters coming to New Zealand to hunt in those high fence stations um, because there's so much food around and you can shoot them all year round. And um, if I'm not mistaken, New Zealand is allowed to, you can, you can raise elk for meat for sale. Oh, yeah. So there's a, that's again another way of how these deer got out of this country is because they, uh, in part, it was kind of the other way around because you'd have wild so the original stock they used for deer farming in new zealand came from wild deer that they'd go out and catch with helicopters so there's this kind of like crazy era of new zealand hunting which like called the deer wars where new zealand government just kind of tried to get rid of as many deer as possible Mm. and in the early days this is before you had net guns but you still had helicopters so there were some crazy people that would go out and fly really low with a helicopter and then they'd get a guy to jump out on the deer's back, what? tie up their legs, and then fly them off to the deer farms. Um, wow. So that was about, oh God, I can't, it's, a, it's quite a spread out period of time, but there were some crazy people doing that and making actually some a decent amount of money off it because, you know, farmed venison became like a really um, great thing. So we'd export it off to Europe. Mm. Um, which is kind of like full circle. We brought our deer from Europe and then our meat yeah. goes back to Europe. <laughs> How strange. So, I mean, it's sort of ripe conditions for species to go feral, right? You've got this oh. isolated island um, biological system in which a lot of the endemic plants and animals are just not accustomed to this kind of pressure. Um, no, they no, don't no. really have predators other than humans. There's no predators. No predators, yeah. So it's and just like some strange scenario. There are some small amounts of wild dogs that'll sometimes eat a deer, like just feral dogs going wild. But it is like a tiny portion. Yeah. Um, most of the deer in New Zealand die by hunters, like recreational hunters, or by um, commercial hunters. So they go over with helicopters, pick up the dead deer, and fly off, or just the commercial colours that work for mm. Department of Conservation. I was reading about uh, the Haast's eagle, which is now extinct, but oh, one, of your, cool <laughs> yeah, yeah. one of your former predators, I guess it's been extinct for several hundred years, this massive eagle that would prey on, uh, what are they called, the flightless birds? Moa, yeah. Moa. Oh. So we had like several different species of moa, and the Haast's eagle were like their top predator. Um, they were pretty big. It's like... From what I understand, they're close to three times the size of the largest eagles we have around today. Man. Um, and there's a lot of like Maori folklore that probably originated with Haas eagles killing a few people, um, like young children, because that yeah. would have been a pretty easy prey item. And, but they went extinct pretty quickly with the moas. Um, mm. Yeah. It's mostly so Maori people... humans hunting the moas to extinction. But, the Maori people, when they reached the island, hunted the moas. Yeah, so it was a mixture of hunting moas and just stealing the eggs. Oh, okay. Because um, the moa was, you know, it's a pretty huge bird. It's not exactly easy to kill, even if it is naive to humans. But the eggs, from what I know, they would only lay an egg every two, three years, and it'll be one egg just on a patch of ground. So like most flightless birds, um, they become quite vulnerable to predation in that way. So you've got this situation now. You got all these animals running wild. You got really remote, inaccessible parts of your of your country as well as islands. Like it's sort of out of control, right? What is the current management situation for a hunter if I get licensed, which we'll talk about that as well. But if I want to go out and hunt, what are the regulations? Uh, the, uh... Okay, so it's not like over the US where you have to sit hunter safety and then you have to apply for licenses and tags. Um, we do have that for our waterfowl season. So for when we're hunting mallard ducks, 
black swan. So we, we have, there's a large swan that a lot of people hunt in New Zealand. Um, paradise ducks and a few other different waterfowl species. You and our pheasants and quail, because um, we have pheasants and California quail across a lot of our country. Um, and you have to buy a upland bird slash waterfowl license to hunt them. But for all of our big game, there's no license. You can anyone can go out and shoot them. But our regulations come in when it terms of firearms licensing. So you, it's a pretty long and lengthy process, especially after the Christchurch shooting that happened mm-hmm. back in 2019. Um, it for me, it took me close to two years to get my license. Wow, which I was pretty lucky though, because my dad was a hunter, so he had rifles, so I could always just go out with him. Because you're allowed to hunt as long as you have like a licensed um, firearms holder with you. Or we we had a few guide friends down south and we'd go with them. But um, yeah, it's other than that, there's pretty much no restrictions. There are some areas where you have to put into a ballot for the raw period. So what we call the raw is like your the rut, the rut, or yeah. or something. Um, so for red deer, like there's the Wanaka raw is probably the most famous balloted off area. So for the rutting period, you get like a block of land or a certain amount of days but there isn't a limit to how many deer you can shoot on that block you just a limit to how many people can be on the block Um, and what's the public versus private land breakdown is there plenty of public land for you to use or are you mostly hunting private we're pretty lucky in new zealand we have i'm pretty sure it's close to 30 percent public land but the catch is a lot of that is in the private uh, is in the south island um so i'm in the north island and most of the population in New Zealand is also in the North Island. So like around Auckland, there isn't a lot of public land. And there isn't a lot of deer, to be honest. Um, there's We have one deer herd in New Zealand, which I was lucky enough to draw the ballot for as well, um, for Woodhill Fellow. Um, but I got probably the worst period for it. I got the second to last weekend out of like 15 weekends. Oh. Um <laughs> But yeah, it's pro- I'm not complaining because it takes a little while to draw. But um, we only have that one little deer herd. Um, and then further south, you've got like a couple of other like more famous areas. So you've got the Porioras, um, which is where there's a lot of red deer and some feral goats and pigs in there. You've got the Kaimanoas, um, which holds seeker deer. So, that's a, so like in the US, you guys have seeker deer up in Maryland and stuff. Yeah. Um, we have a similar spe- subspecies of seeker deer. You guys have the Japanese seeker deer or the Nippon. Um, we have some Nippon um, in some areas, but we also have a lot of Manchurian seeker, huh. which come from like Far East Russia, and they're quite a bit bigger. Um, wow. So the, the ones you guys have, um, the Japanese seeker, they'll usually be like a three by three antler structure. Whereas with the Manchurian seeker, they get a lot longer in the antler. They're quite a bit bigger in the body and they can branch out into like four or five points. And they'll also hybridize with the red deer. So you'll just get some like random ones that'll, you know, the biggest seeker, there's always people asking when like a really big seeker gets shot. It's like, oh, how much red deer is in there? Because the red deer had a lot of size and antler mass to them. What a strange place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so you, you would think like with relatively few regulations and presumably quite a bit of interest in hunting this place that these animal populations would be depleted pretty quickly, but that's just not the case. Why is that? Why are they still proliferating so much? It's because people don't really understand how quickly deer can breed. Um, and also the regulations, the lack of regulations is kind of like a blessing in disguise, as kind of just works against what you'd think it would do. Because let's say, okay, so we have a patch of forest and it has a herd of deer and you can shoot any deer you want. Now, a lot of hunters in New Zealand, and I, I'd say it'd be true for the States, if you could shoot any deer you want, it would be a buck or a stag, right? It would be sure. a mature buck. But as a lot of people know, if you're trying to control populations, you need to be shooting mature females that are um, producing fawns every year. 
Right. Now, what happens a lot in New Zealand is that you get a lot of hunters going in during the raw period and shooting stags and shooting young stags for meat, but leaving all the hinds behind. Um, and that ex leads to a population explosion. If you're not taking those big hinds out every year, um, you're going to be getting close to like a 40% population increase each year. Wow. So double every 1.8 years or something like that for some some species. Yeah. Um, for feral goats, it's even more crazy because they'll double every 1.2 years if you don't <laughs> shoot any. Um, I mean, I my only comparison is with feral hogs in the U.S. Yeah, so this is what's interesting. In New Zealand, like feral pigs are definitely an issue in a lot of areas, but they're not like rampant as in Australia. Australia has a way worse problem when it comes to feral pigs than New Zealand um and i think because there's quite a like strong pig hunting culture in new zealand so it's usually done with dogs because yeah. it's different as in into texas it's a lot of the pigs are in forested areas um or just like thick brush so we have like gorse and blackberry and they'll just be in the middle of that so you usually send the dogs in you'll usually have like a a lighter faster breed that'll track them down and then you'll have a catcher which is a lot of what i've seen is like they'll have like an american bulldog kind of type dog that like yeah. just holds the pig and then most kiwis um pigs stick in them so you just have like a large knife and you just go under the shoulder through the heart it's pretty hardcore yeah I, i've never i've wanted to do that for a long time my closest to that is when i was about six oh no was that older i was about i think i was 19. it was the end of 2020 i went down south onto this big station and i like i did a pretty sloppy shot on a pig on like a long range um and one of the guides that was with us had to go in with a, uh, the knife after and just pig stick him wow. but uh, that was a bit interesting yeah um <laughs> i know guys do that in in texas too i don't quite have the stomach for it i, I just try to Try to I shoot them with a large caliber. Um, so you have this situation where you have, you know, like like we've talked about this. These animals are breeding faster than you can control them, and then that leads to government uh, agency intervention, right? Where you you have cull programs. Yeah, so like, a culling in New Zealand has happened for a very long time. Like originally, back before helicopters, it was just done by ground shooters. So they'd be go told to go into an area and shoot X amount of deer. Um, none of that food, none of the meat would be recovered or anything like that. It'd just shoot them, leave them. Like at that point, it was, they kind of just considered them as fertilizer for the hillside, which is not, I I personally don't like looking at it like that. Cause yeah. yeah. But um, with a lot of deer and it also happened a lot with feral goats and still happened a lot with feral goats because they breed so fast. And then a lot of people a lot of hunters aren't a fan of shooting them or eating them because it's a, it's like a weird thing. They're more they're not as much of a challenge to hunt. Uh -huh. um, they're really really easy to shoot. Like people who live in Hawaii would probably say the same thing about their feral goats versus the axis deer. That a lot of people will shoot deer over goats, um, and hence goat numbers can really build up in some areas. But like personally, I find goat just amazing to eat. Um, really. Because it's just like a wild stock animal that, like some of the feral nannies, like if you shoot a nanny, they're usually pretty damn small. Like they'll weigh about, gutted out, will be about 15 kilos. Um, so you can I'm carry them, shoot a couple and here. carry them back pretty damn easy. <laughs> yeah, in yeah. Pound, so 2.2 pounds, so like 30, 30, 30, 40 pounds. Yeah. Like nothing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas the billies, which gives the bad reputation for feral goats, they can smell to high heaven because um, they they have a nasty habit of growing this long beard on their chin and then pissing on their beard. Oh yeah, um, I uh, my family raised goats growing up, and that's part yeah. of the reason I <laughs> am less interested in them because I I remember that smell all too well. Yeah, yeah so like old billies, when you get like any big billy, probably about over four or five years old. I tend to just let them be because they don't do anything for the population, really. Um, I just try and shoot nannies and the odd younger billy. Yeah. But um, 
Yeah, so you just there's a lot of like culling in New Zealand. Probably one of the most famous ones that's happened recently is our tar culls down south. So that's all helicopter based tar culls. So there's a Mount in Mount Cook National Park, which is one of our biggie areas and was the original release site of tar. They for the past few years they've been shooting probably about a thousand or so animals out of there every year, just out of helicopters. But it's What's really caused like an uproar is that it's an indiscriminate shoot. So they'll shoot bulls, they'll shoot nannies, they'll shoot kids, they'll just shoot any yeah. um, and they all go to waste. Those never go over well anywhere you hear about a, a oh, helicopter cult, whether it's wolves or mountain goats. Every time I hear about one of those bison, and there's, a, at least in the U.S., there's always a long line of hunters who are like, let me in there. I would love a chance to get a a tag for one of these animals that I, you know, normally wouldn't get to hunt a bison. Like I, I hate to hear about a government agency coming in and, and doing something like that when so many of us would love that opportunity. Yeah. Now, like in New Zealand, like you have to be realistic with introduced species to a certain point. Like I think there's room for helicopter control in New Zealand, but I think where it can be done better is that you actually go around and pick up the carcasses after and then that gets sold into so because in New Zealand you can sell wild game if it's harvested in the right way. So, for instance, with our fjord and Wapiti, if people don't know, Fjordland is a pretty incredible place to get into. Like, it is so damn hard to get out to where the Wapiti are. It, hmm. For a lot of the people who are hunting the bulls, it takes like two a couple of days to get into where they are from, or well, you have to fly in with a helicopter. So. Hunters shooting enough hinds is going to be a tough um, ask. But what they've done recently is where they take out about 800 or so Wapiti hinds, and then they sell all of those carcasses off to the domestic markets. They're actually getting used. Um, mm. That's that. I think there is a lot of room for that, but I also think there's a lot of room in New Zealand for like better hunter-led um, management programs where uh, what's also really confusing in New Zealand is that you don't really know how many deer there are in any given area. Like in uh. the US, they do, there's a wildlife agency that's dedicated towards managing your population. So you kind of know, oh, oh there's X amount of deer in this area. This is how many we need to be taking out. Yeah. Um, this is the trophy quality, blah, blah, blah. Whereas in NZ, you can go onto a lot of public land blocks and they'll often be completely different species to what department of conservation says is there because there's not regular monitoring now they've mm. started doing with the tar is doing um population checks to see like how many tar are in an area and they'll say if if in that area oh this is like you know this has too many tar we're going to go in and do a cull within a month um or a couple of months or so but they don't really communicate very well with the hunting population. Um, so a lot of people don't know that, oh, in this block, there is so many tar in here. You really need to sh be shooting a few nannies. Um, and it, it's, it's, it is a bit of a problem. Like, that's what I was saying by like the no regulations thing kind of works against hunters trying to do the right thing. Um, yeah. Like the best blocks that I've seen on private land, the ones that are like, managing numbers but also managing trophy quality are the ones that know like the basics of how many deer are on my property how many do we need to be taking off how many hunters do we need to do that do we need helicopter um like population control etc etc it's really strange to me that you can have market hunting like you you can sell wild game game meat that is what led to so much of our problems in the U.S. in the past was unre yeah. unregulated market hunting, almost caused the extinction of a lot of the species we're talking about. Well, for for a little while in New Zealand, it nearly did the same for deer because uh -huh. we had a period of time where we had like very little deer because it it basically sort of from initial release with very little, then it went up for a period of time and it got to pretty uncontrollable levels, and that's when the deer wars kind of started. And then you had pretty widespread commercial harvests that would be sent to Europe or just culling by Department of Conservation. And deer kind of would just very, very low numbers across a lot of New Zealand. 
And that kind of kickstarted the whole, oh, shoot young bucks instead of hinds. Because for a period of time, we didn't have a lot of deer. But it wasn't. It only took 30 or 40 years for numbers to just bounce right back up. And hunters are still in kind of the same mindset of, mm. oh, shoot a spike and not a hind. And it's really changing now because, like, hinds are getting shot a lot more. But, um, yeah, it's with an introduced species, like the like a hunter's mind like i'd say like the ethics of hunting in america has influenced new zealand hunting quite a bit it's like oh just like looking for like that trophy stag um well i'd say also it's affected by um european hunting ethics Mm. where you're like focusing on shooting big stags you're leaving the rest of the population behind when new zealand like what i try and do is i try and make like 90 percent of the animals i'm shooting throughout the year are like management animals so it's hinds that's nannies if i get the chance to shoot pigs because i don't really hunt in that area all that much shoot them and then like rabbits turkeys that kind of stuff yeah um and then I... leaving just that one or two animals as a trophy i guess to hear this off the bat like this abundance of wildlife you go well what's the problem the problem is there's too many. They're eating too much forage. They're destroying yeah. agricultural value, I assume. You've got a, a massive agricultural export economy, right? Yeah. Like, um, deer's impact on New Zealand, I'd say, like, it's most the most urgent stuff is when it comes to native biodiversity. Okay. Because deer can absolutely gut a forest out and just stop any, like, regrowth. So, you know, when seeds drop to the forest floor and they try and sprout deer eat those saplings straight away now if you control deer numbers you can still have deer in the forest but also have a healthy forest there's a lot of like research being done by that um there's some guys down so like seeker foundation does a bunch of work where they try and like monitor populations and try keep them in check so that there's still deer around but not so many deer that um they eat the forest out of house and home like there's one so I've been hunting recently this one property that um, has like a mixture of like both pasture and forest. Now there's a lot of areas on the pasture land where hunters have been hitting it pretty heavily and decent number of deer being taken off. There's still deer there, but like that edge um, between the forest and the pasture is in good health. But if you go deeper into the forest, you get into some areas where you could play like a football match because um, wow. it's so clear. Yeah. Um, The other side of this, I guess, from an economic perspective, you mentioned the the damage to biodiversity, but American hunters and other foreign hunters are paying $15,000, $20,000 to come over there and shoot a red stack. That is is a a big part of it. So I've kind of seen a bit of this. I I got to kind of work as like an assistant on this guiding operation down south. So that was a lot of the ones in New Zealand are – high high fence operations the ones that attract americans over at least um but at this particular one it was these two big stations one was about forty thousand hectares and one was about fifty thousand hectares so hectare this is like probably double it for acres so that's massive like there's a lot of area and they were hunting big scottish red deer fallow deer tar and chamois um i think we had well, I was there. We had a, like four or five reds, a tar, and a chamois shot during that time, which was pretty awesome to see. So, like on there, like these, this guide, he would only bring about like ten stag hunters every year, but he would charge like twenty thousand USD for each animal. Not bad. Um, and uh, you get what to see why because they're like pretty amazing animals. But you can see like on public land where he used to go and hunt like red stags um you also get the commercial hunters that just hunt for meat and they're pretty indiscriminate about what they shoot and so during the summer late summer all the stags are in prime condition so they'll often go and shoot all the stags off a piece of public land because those are the heaviest body weight and will sell for the highest price wow so it means none of the really big stags are growing out on public land anymore are they doing anything with, I mean, I assume they're selling the antlers too, right? Uh, making them into dog toys or something. In some areas, they'll sell velvet. So they'll go to China 
by the yeah. Chinese velvet market. And in some areas, like they'll use the stags for dog cho- toys or knife handles or something like that. But most of the time they're shooting them when they're soft velvet. Oh, okay. So during that, in like that high Alpine country, they, those stags would just be fattening up on like the best Alpine greens and they'll just have a thick layer of fat about that thick on their wow. rice. And that is just like the prime eating venison that they sell over to you um over to Europe. Um and it can have like a pretty profound effect on numbers, especially because Department of Conservation gives them these permits to go um harvest deer off there with the expectations that they will control deer numbers. But if you're not taking a huge amount of hinds, how is that controlling deer numbers? Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of like discussion around that in New Zealand. Some operators are definitely better than others. Um, some operators will tell them, oh, we got actually got to leave stags, you know, and you got to shoot hinds. But um, it, it's really complicated. Like each area will have its own like nuanced issue because of no region regulation. Have there been any efforts or conversations about introducing non-human predators? Oh, look, I'm we, not saying it's a great we've idea. We've typically just... already done that for our smaller species, like our rat, rabbits. Um, so rabbits were introduced again by Europeans, mostly for food. Um, and they just went nuts. They breed like crazy. Like I've, we went, so one of my earliest experiences with hunting down south was for the day we just went rabbit shooting on this place. We shot a hundred rabbits. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> But we could have shot so much more. We didn't even scratch the surface of the population. My goodness. Like there's some guys that, that back in the day before you had like poisons being dropped everywhere, you had um, like rabbit colors. There would be these guys on quad bikes and would just be out there with the 22 plinking rabbits all day. And that was their job. And they'd shoot 50 something thousand in a year. It's just like bonkers amounts. So at that time um they released stoats and ferrets to try and keep on top of the population but as in with all introduced species there's all these unintended consequences and stoats and ferrets would eat rabbits sometimes but they'd eat all of our native birds most of the time um so they are like the bane of native birds existence at the moment Mm. same with feral cats like feral cats are horrendous in new zealand in some parts this is fascinating. So you wrote an article for uh, Meat Eater, actually, which is a fantastic Yeah, yeah this is that, pretty awesome right for them, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I after we started talking online, I saw your articles on there, and the one about feral cats, I mean, I'd kind of heard that this was an issue mainly in Australia, but it's really bizarre. Can you talk a little bit about this? Okay, so like that particular article was talking about like a hunting competition. So kind of like in the US, how you have coyote killing competitions, but um, in NZ, they do that for a lot of like our deer, our pigs, they'll do that for like pheasants and trout sometimes. Um, And they're called like the big four competitions, usually, where you get like the biggest stag, the biggest boar, um, the most of the smaller game species or the biggest trout or something. But they'll run all these side competitions for our other game species. So in Canterbury, for the North Canterbury hunting competition, they'd have like a section for rabbits and hares and they had one for feral cats because feral cats are pretty widespread in New Zealand. Unlike feral cats in the US, like most feral cats in the US kind of stay around urbanized areas or like around human based areas because there's no other predators in New Zealand. Cats will just go out into the middle of the backcountry, and they'll be in like wilderness areas hanging around and it just chowing down. You don't have owls or, or hawks or anything. We do have hawks and stuff, but they're too small. (laughs) Okay. They just like, it's more likely that a cat would kill them. Wow. Yeah. Um, like cats will pretty much eat. They're like, there's a whole legend in New Zealand, um, about the Canterbury Panther. So there was a, um, everyone thought back in the day that it was like a black leopard that got out and was just running around in the high country. But what most people think it is now is just really, really large feral cats. <laughs> um, like this is one, I'll have to send this to you, but it's like, so they use like these dogs to track down the cats in a lot of areas. Um, but it's like a Labrador sitting next to this dead feral cat. 
the feral cats nearly as big as the lab what uh, i'll have to send it to you it's pretty nuts just search up like cat cat. and you'll see that um I'm writing it down that's wild but anyway what i was saying they do a huge amount of damage they eat a crazy number of feral um, um native birds small amphibians reptiles all of that kind of stuff so in new zealand they did this hunting competition of like these young kids hey while you're out shooting rabbits and hares and that kind of stuff let's see how many feral cats you can also shoot because everyone counts like if you can save a feral cat it's pretty much the equivalent of saving a couple hundred um native birds over its lifetime mm. so they did a hunting competition and then you had the spca kind of get into it which is like your our version of peter um yep. get into it and say oh like kids shouldn't be you know killing cats and that kind of stuff cats you should be like neutering and releasing these animals and everything and it, it just really lacked a lot of like the nuance of you know the situation a lot of these stations where it will be like the responsibility of the landowner's kids to go out and like shoot as many rabbits and hares and that kind of stuff as they can and shooting feral cats is a big part of that as well because huh. especially while you're shooting at night you'll bump into them quite often and there's not also a lot of um domestic cats in a lot of those areas because if the farmer does have a domestic cat like their pet cat they'll usually put a collar and a bell around it and they'll also be a lot less timid and they'll also be a lot less a lot more fat um because those feral cats get pretty lean and um, muscular but yeah it's kind of the responsibility of these kids to go out and shoot it and all this competition was doing is just incentivizing it further it wasn't kind of like and there was like also special restrictions on it like if a cat did have a microchip you would be immediately disqualified and that kind of stuff so just like some so some delinquent can go and I have a couple of follow-ups. So culturally, since you have such an issue with feral cats, are people less likely to own cats as pets? Or are they no, still... people do just as much. Okay. Like it's, it's, yeah. domestic cats also cause a lot of damage in New Zealand. Um like there's no denying that. There's a lot of calls in some parts of New Zealand and are more like ecologically sensitive areas where cats should be holding held indoors because even that cat getting out and killing a couple of birds can have a profound effect. There's actually this one example of a single feral cat wiping out an entire species in New Zealand. What? Yeah. How? What? <laughs> it, was like, it, was, it was called the Lion's Rim. It was on an island off the coast of New Zealand, and this, the lighthouse owner's cat got out and killed what they think was every wren on the island. My goodness. and wipe the species off the off the map it's a pretty extreme example but it shows how like when in an area that doesn't have natural predators that keep cats close to the homes they'll just eat anything they really want um and they cause a huge amount of damage i'm imagining a small flightless bird that doesn't really have much defense against oh, a like cat. tiny like the size yeah. of a small robin okay yeah 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 man yeah. How, how interesting yeah it is interesting yeah <laughs> my other question about cats you mentioned when you're shooting at night are you allowed to shoot with night vision most of these animals yeah so most most on public land you're not because it has to be within um hours of daylight um but on private land you can shoot most um like big game and feral species with a spotlight so a lot of people do it with just spotlight but more and more people are also doing it with thermals now. Mm. Um, like we, my dad and I have just got a thermal and that is incredibly useful. Like it's just completely different behavior in deer. Um, I've always wanted to try it just for hogs, but so also just to, because the videos I've seen, it's just so interesting seeing the woods alive at night. Spotlighting is like a really good intro into that. Like I've done it, we did wallaby hunting with a spotlight. Because we also have down south, there's probably about a million wallabies. Um, and then up north, we have another species of wallaby that's a little bit smaller. Um, but the one down south is like the size of a small kangaroo. It's called the Bennett's. Is it good to eat? Um, so I, I when we went out <laughs> hunting, we shot about 14 of them. 
and I took all the back legs and the back straps and some of the, like the tail portions because it uh, makes like oxtail kind of cuts. And um, I, I'd also been down on a tar hunt and we were flying the meat back to North Island. But the courier guys that were doing it, because we had just put in like um, checked in luggage and they'd left the like pyrostone, um, the styrofoam boxes out in the sun. So it all just spoiled. So all my work that I'd spent the last like day, like prepping all this meat, packaging it up and putting it in there. So all the two things, I had like two things of about 30 kilos of wallaby. It just all gone to waste. So I got to try like one little bit that was in the third case with the tarmi. Yeah. Um And it's pretty nice. Like it, it, it tastes quite a bit like venison. <laughs> um, it's a deep, dark red meat, um, super lean, it's super healthy as well, like kangaroo over in the um, in Australia, but it's a little bit more mild than kangaroo. Um, but I definitely want to get out and shoot some more wallabies. Yeah, they can. Be, a lot of people don't eat them because, again, they breed so crazy that when you're out hunting them, it is just all about keeping the numbers down. Um, and like what happens in New Zealand often, which I think is not like one of the worst sides of our hunting culture in New Zealand is because like our government agencies tell us all the time, shoot as many animals as you can, like keep on doing that. There's a huge amount of waste that goes on um, of just hunters that are really lazy and will shoot a bunch of animals and just take the back straps yeah. when they can recover it. And there's a lot of people that would want to eat it. Um, when there's that much abundance, I think you naturally don't ascribe as much value to the animal. Yeah. No, I would I would agree with that, yeah. One of the one of the examples is we we were messaging about uh wild turkey and this month I've been I've been out trying to trying to chase wild <laughs> turkey in Colorado. You know, we we have a decent amount, but uh they can be hard to come by especially on public land. They're mostly yeah. sitting on private land and um that's been the story of my season so far as I find them every time but but I can't get them to come uphill. You were <laughs> you posted some photos of, of wild turkeys that you're just like shooting them with a rifle whenever you see them. They're like yeah. a pest over there. So in, in turkey hunting culture in New Zealand, I wouldn't even say there's a culture in New Zealand. It's just that you, oh, there's a turkey, shoot it. Um, because <laughs> um, most of the time you're hunting with 22s or 17s. Like every now and again, you'll shoot them with shotguns, but um, you're never calling them in in the spring or anything like that. You're shooting wow. them all year round. Like a one seven, so it was more like a spot and stalk hunt for these turkeys, because I was on this quite hilly station. And I saw these turkeys way off. Got um, they're usually pretty onto it, the turkeys, but they'll kind of they'll go a little way and then turn back and look for where the hunter's coming from, and that's usually your chance to go shoot them. Um, because I was pretty lucky on that instance where I bumped a larger tom and two jakes up the top of the hill went over the top they were just over the edge and i was able to shoot one two three with the one seven wow. so just three turkeys down there but um, there's a lot of people that shoot a lot more than that in a day though um like again you get up in like 20 30 animals with wild turkeys sometimes do you this is a strange question but do you wish that there was more of a culture around turkey hunting like it, it's a revered animal uh, look here. it's something i i've actually got a turkey call because i went to florida a couple of years ago and we stopped off at a bass pro store and i've never like been i've never seen like a turkey call it's like what, what the heck is this um <laughs> so I, I bought one and I've, I've been meaning to try it for a couple of years like i think it would be cool just for people to try but i don't i wouldn't want it to become too much of a culture because you just wouldn't be shooting enough of them every year because again, it's in New Zealand, there's pretty much no natural predators for them. Like hawks will eat them every now and again. And then stoats and ferrets will eat the chicks and then cats will eat the chicks as well. But they're still laying 10 eggs a year and the hatching rates are pretty close to 100%. And the survival yeah. rates are pretty close to 100%. Um, so populations can just explode. And the same thing with, we have also wild peacocks running around. Um, of course you do. 
<laughs> yeah, I could just throw out some weird and more weird ones, but there's yeah, you have these peacocks running around. They're a lot harder to hunt. Um, they you'd think they'd be similar to hunt like turkeys, but they run like nothing you've seen before. They just run this chasing this like wily coyote and a roadrunner, um, because they'll just keep on evading you. They have a habit of running up a hill and you like leading you up the hill and then getting to the top of the hill and then just flying off. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've um, had that issue with grouse too. They just pitch off and just yes, soar yeah. all the way down. You're like, oh. So like peacock hunting is a bit like hunting a really big, fast pheasant um, because they, they'll they just burst out and fly off in that, that way. I've yet to actually shoot one, but um, I've seen a fair few around. Yeah. They're, with turkeys... Like I, I personally like hunting them because they're a pretty easy animal to hunt. It's more like a filling the freezer kind of session. Um, like that time you just you know take the breast, take the legs and thighs and everything, and you take the big gizzards on them. Um, and you know it's just really easy meat for me. I'm at university. It's just incredibly easy and cheap to go shoot three turkeys rather than buy a bunch of chicken or something like that. Um, I love it. What do you yeah. study? Uh, I actually do accounting and finance, so okay. completely different to my like hunting hobby and everything. But um, yeah, it, it helped like Auckland at the moment is cost of living is pretty high for a student. Like food prices are getting pretty high, but mm -hmm. I'm kind of lucky where I just don't buy meat because I can, I've just put deer and goats and a bunch of other stuff in the freezer throughout the year. That's fantastic. Um, and it helps because my dad hunts too. So he'll go off on his own missions and bring back um, meat as well um so yeah no it's, it's it's pretty good from that respect like if you're a avid consumer of wild game new zealand is probably one of the best places because there's never an off season you can go hunt a lot of things like it's only only off season we really have is with ducks um because you know we have like a month and a bit season for them but um with deer you can go out any time of year and go and shoot an animal I told my wife if uh, if things fall apart in the U.S., <laughs> I think I know where we should go. <laughs> uh, it is, it is pretty cool. But the thing yeah. the thing is with like hunting deer all year round, you kind of get like this unique insight into like their biology. Like in the U.S., you're just studying them during the rut and the fall, and sometimes during the winter periods. When in New Zealand, like you'll see, um, like when you're hunting the hinds when they're separated. So with red deer during the rut the the hinds and the stags will come together and they'll be doing all their mating stuff and then come winter they'll usually split off and then come spring the hinds will kind of separate all out from each other and go drop their fawns off in different areas mm. and then come summer they've all kind of congregated back together and in those hind herds and the stags have been off um in their little bachelor groups so you'll have like the younger stags stay in the bachelor groups and some of the old stags will be in in pairs or by themselves. And they'll just pick some inhospitable area and go bunker down for six months. Yeah. Because they there's nothing pushing them out of the area at all. They just kind of eat like crazy. Um, but it's, you, you get to learn like about the biology of these animals throughout different times of year, what food sources they're eating. And then like the eating quality also varies quite a bit um for like throughout the year like in new zealand i'm kind of lucky where i try and shoot a lot of my deer late summer because that's when they have a lot of fat on them and they're really damn nice um and then during rut like i still take animals during the rut and everything but um you, you, that's when you can usually focus on shooting stags and whatnot and then come spring they usually tend to be quite lean down especially down south because they've had a rougher winter um and then they start the fattening cycle up again yeah it's quite cool you're really knowledgeable and um seems like you've had a lot of experience in a short amount of time so that's <laughs> that's pretty awesome yeah i've been pretty lucky to be honest like i've kind of so I, I really started getting into hunting when i was about 18 but it took about a year and a bit to really convince my parents to go out hunting like as much as i want anyway so in that meantime, I just binge watch stuff like Meat Eater. Yeah. Like Meat Eater is, is one of those weird things. Like 
that's what really got me started into hunting and proper i remember I, my dad had show me on netflix oh there's this show called meat eater and it turned on the one of the sick blacktail episodes um and i just thought that was so awesome because my like first introduction to deer hunting when i was 16 was mostly just from the hunting perspective not the meat perspective um like there wasn't a lot of care taken for meat wise it was just mm -hmm. oh, take back straps back legs we're done um yeah. goats you don't eat goats all that kind of stuff but like since then, it's just kind of been, you know, learning about all of that, appreciating the animal for not just the hunting experience, but for the meat part. Um, for me, like we, our family's always been pretty food orientated. Um, so probably the biggest challenge was just convincing my family to eat wild game. <laughs> but now that's like, they're pretty well subscribed to it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm also a, an avid consumer of the meat eater shows. And I think I've learned a ton from them as well. I'm sure so many yeah. people have that story, especially like pandemic years when, when so many people oh, were yeah. getting outside yeah. and finding new interests in the outdoors. I think they were a big inspiration for yeah. a lot of folks. Um, so yeah, you mentioned your, your food culture and your family, you posted some pictures of this on your Instagram, which is called fill the freezer. And you, you said that term a few times as well, that you're filling the freezer. I guess is that part of your part of your mission with what you're doing online and, and the articles you're writing? Tell me about that. Is that sort of about promoting food culture around New Zealand hunting? Yeah, it's just like it's interesting. Like all like Auckland, where I'm living at the moment as a student, is quite an urban center, and a lot of people don't even know we have wild deer, which seems crazy because they're just crazy common in so many areas. Um, and I, th I think there is a, like a real opportunity in New Zealand to become uh, more like to have a lot more hunters. Like there's a lot of more room, a lot more room. Um, a lot of, some people will say like, oh, we've got enough hunters at the moment because in some areas during the war, it gets pretty pressured on public land. But I think overall, we've got a lot more room to like at least share the meat with pe other people. That's what I've tried to do with my friends and stuff. Just bring them over for like a barbecue or something is serving some of the burgers or sausages I've made with a bunch of venison. But I think there's a lot of room for that in New Zealand. Because I, I think hunters, when we, you know, figure out the whole management system of like how many animals we need to be taking off, we can really step up and keep numbers in check. I know I've seen places where hunters have actually done really well at that. But it just, you need like consistent hunting and you need a like I hope in New Zealand that we keep up the hunting culture that we have and expand upon it. Um, yeah. Because it's a really awesome opportunity, I find. Um, I'm fascinated. We, we So I ran this thing through the deer stalkers. So in New Zealand, we have like these clubs called um, deer stalkers branches. Um, so I ran this thing called a party hunt. So you get a group of people together and you go out and hunt on this property. And we got, I think we got of that weekend we got 12 wild goats and a deer um and all of that meat went back to their families and used it was great um like that's that's what it was all really about to like encourage that kind of stuff because in new zealand like again i'll say it again like the cost of living crisis almost in new zealand is pretty bad at the moment yeah and meat meat just costs so much money like a leg of lamb often will cost 40 50 bucks Whereas on these properties, we were going on shooting goats. You'd pay a hundred for the weekend and shoot four or five if you wanted. Wow. Yeah. So like, yeah. It, like just from a cost perspective there, it makes so much sense. And it's also just so much healthier. Um, like even the goats do tend to have quite a bit of fat and deer do, but they're just like, you know, grass fed on the best quality stuff. Like when you can keep po game populations in check, it's probably one of the most sustainable ways to eat. In New Zealand, yeah, especially because like livestock in New Zealand can also do a lot of damage to an ecosystem that wasn't adapted for any grazers. Um, we've got starting to get a lot better in that. Like, there was a period of time where on these high country stations, um, there was a way too many sheep. Um, there was a period of time where we had seventy million sheep in New Zealand. Um, but now we're back. We're down to about twenty-five million. Wow. Um, so we started to cut it down quite a bit. 
But I think like eating wild game on a regular basis is part of a more like sustainable eating movement that I think should become more common in New Zealand. I dig it. I like what you're doing. I, I like the hearing about this perspective from the other side of the world. It's <laughs> just really fascinating. And I think there's like, there's a lot to learn both ways. Uh, you guys could probably learn from our mistakes and, and vice versa. Oh, God, yeah. We have a lot to learn from countries like the US and Europe um, because like eventually that's what I really want to happen is that over larger areas of public land, we actually have like a monitoring system where we can know how many animals are in an area and know how many need to be taken off um, and have it, and also like having a system of funding because in New Zealand, we don't have that. What's becoming like a big problem in New Zealand is that um firearms licenses are getting incredibly expensive because it is being fronted all by the person applying like there was a a, a bill that was proposed quite recently that would bring it up to about 700 dollars per person wow. from about i'm pretty sure i can't remember what it is now but it is only like a couple hundred bucks at the moment for applying um, what I really would want in New Zealand is that we have like a method of funding wildlife conservation and our game animal conservation, where if you know if you're going and hunting a area of special interest, you pay a little bit of money, or if you're buying a gun or buying hunting gear, you like Pittman Robinson Act and that yeah. kind of stuff. That I think that's also another area in New Zealand where we need to be getting a lot better at. Um, yeah. Hmm. I love it. I, I think, I hope you keep the articles coming because these are all fascinating topics. And I think, um, you know, you got what, 5 million people over there in New Zealand. There's so many folks over here who want to hear about this stuff. So, oh, yeah. Um, no. Even just like in Australia, like it's quite, Australia is like another, it's when it comes to an introduced species, it's like an extension of New Zealand because they have, again, they have six deer species, but they also have, crazy stuff that we don't have like feral camels and water buffalo and <laughs> yeah, banting yeah. and oh, uh, scrub bulls oh i've i've seen these videos of these guys um this guide up um northern territory of australia where they're hunting these wild scrub bulls and they look kind of like those spanish matador bulls oh it's just <laughs> it's crazy like again and, and for them there's like quite a lot of people in australia and new zealand that are trying to do similar things like instead of just shooting the animals and leaving them or trying to exterminate them let's try manage them sustainably and use them as a resource because um, mm -hmm. i think that's that's the best thing we should be doing with these animals because it's also like it's from like a cultural perspective these animals have been here for like a long time now the like red deer they've been here nearly as long as we have um so to like ex to just say oh we should just get rid of all of them i think is the wrong way to look at it like of course they cause issues and we can't just let that be but i think we can find a good middle ground yeah yeah, yeah to start to view them as a cultural resource rather than a you yeah. know pest i think in new zealand we get really getting into that um which is good to see but australia has a little bit a little way to go like their governments have, are leaning at the moment quite heavily into full scale culling and eradication mm. in a lot of areas um because you also got to remember australia is ginormous um it's 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 um and there's only 25 million people there um so it's 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 a it's a difficult topic to be honest but yeah Lockin, where can people go if they uh want to hear more about this or read more of your articles and see what you're doing Oh, okay. So um, my Instagram handle is fillthefreezer2.0. Um, 2.0 because my original account about a year ago got hacked into and I lost oh. all my connections through that. So I had to re restart. But anyway, through there, um, you'll see my website link. Um, there's been a bit of trouble with that recently just through the website developer, but I'll be back up soon. And you'll also see the link through my media articles. Um, so you can go read them through there. I've got a few other cool ones coming up soon. Well, thanks so much. This is fun. I, uh, I think, I know. Thanks, man. you know, talking to folks with completely different 
perspectives and or or similar problems on the other side of the world is is really cool that we get to do this over Zoom. So um, definitely appreciate your time and the opportunity. Yeah, that's pretty. It's pretty cool. Like you know, the whole pandemic era has kind of brought on this whole the ability to use Zoom like this. I think that's great. Well, cheers, man. I really appreciate it. It's been good talking to you. Yeah, thanks, mate. It's been great.